Hi, friend. Welcome to Holly's Highlights, a podcast designed to encourage, inspire, and equip you to intentionally live your life full of purpose. I'm your host, Holly Kirby, motivational speaker, leadership cultivator, marketing strategist, and personal cheerleader. Let's check out today's highlight. Well, it is out. My book facelift released last Friday, April 28th of 2023. And a special thank you to Risen Life for hosting the launch, but then of course to all who have supported the release of Facelift by purchasing a copy. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Now I would value your review. So if you wanna take a moment to go to Goodreads or Amazon or wherever you purchased your book, I would so appreciate your feedback there and and taking that time to review. So again, thank you, thank you, thank you. As I, I have shared though, All of us have a story, right? And so that leads into our second episode of the series of highlighting those who have embraced hope through their own heartaches. And today I am so excited to welcome our special guest, Peggy Douglas. She is originally from Minnesota, but she currently lives in Utah. And Peggy was married to her high school sweetheart for almost 23 years. And I I love to hear stories of their time together. But then he went to be home with the Lord in 2020 as a result of a terminal illness, ALS, which is what we're going to be talking with and about today. So Peggy is a blessed mom of Four with two adults and two teenagers. And I just know that there is so much in store for us today through her story. So without further ado, welcome, Peggy. Hello. Good morning. Thank you so much for taking time to be with us today. I think we're just going to dive right in if you're good with that. And, and let's start with that that first opening question that is probably on, on every listener's mind of just kind of what are we talking about? So if you don't mind walking us back to the beginning, what took place that led to the heartache that you have walked through these past years? Sure. Uh, well, it started back in 2015. Uh, my husband um, started having weakness in his hands and he was playing softball. And he couldn't uh, catch, he couldn't grip the the ball in the glove. And he thought that was kind of weird. And then he started having kind of problems running. And of course, he didn't tell me about this. He was monitoring it for about three months before he mentioned to me that he was having these problems. And I think the straw that kind of was like, oh, this is not normal to him was when we went skiing back in uh, northern Minnesota he couldn't uh, get up on skis. He didn't have enough grip strength to hold the rope. And he had been skiing his whole life, water skiing. And so it was after that, I was like, well, you know, what's going on? Why can't you ski? This is really odd. And so he finally told me what was going on. And he's like, well, I, th- I think it's just because I turned 40. You know, they say life's over after 40. And I was like, I don't think this has anything to do with turning 40. So uh, we made a doctor's appointment. And they referred him to a neurologist and the neurologist had like a four or five month wait. And um, that was too long. So I just kept calling every neurologist that I could find to get into one sooner. And she saw us and she said, yeah, you definitely have neurological issues uh, going on. Let's see if I can get you into this specific neurologist. And maybe if I push it through, you can get in sooner. And so I think it was maybe three months after that initial appointment that we found out that he was diagnosed with ALS. And I had a suspicion once I started taking note of his symptoms, I did a bunch of research and I was pretty sure that he had ALS 
And then when I looked up the doctor that she referred us to, they were an ALS specialist. And so I was pretty convinced before we even saw that doctor that that's what he had. December uh, of 2015. There's so much in there that I, I think from his standpoint, the 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 concept of, oh, I'm just turning 40. I remember my mom telling me like, life changes at 40. So I, I understand kind of her his perception there, but how insightful of you to be able to take the the symptoms and and go, hey, we're not waiting five or six months. Cause so many of us would just be like, okay, whatever they say, you know, we'll wait that. But the persistency to, to get him in. Wow. Now, now that's a lot of information that was provided to you. So how, how did you grasp, how, how did you grasp all that? I mean, as you said, there was a little bit of insight of, of knowing that that was the type of doctor and you following the symptoms, but still, still that hits. Right. I think even though I knew I kind of hadn't wrapped my brain around it. And so uh, during the diagnosis meeting, they sit down with you with this big three ring binder of information. And they like start going through all the stages and the, you know, all the muscle loss and all the different things that you're going to go through. And I didn't remember anything of that meeting. Chris was like engaged and asking questions. And I was just like, I was present in the room, but I wasn't present. And I just remember walking out of there really defeated and was like, okay, well, you know, this is the reality. I was kind of hoping that they were going to be wrong and tell me it was something else. You just found all the information. That's when they gave you the binder. Yes. It's very overwhelming. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, you know, like, how do you process all of this? And so, yeah, so they went through it uh, there and I was like, well, I'll look at it later. I'd already knew that it was a terminal illness. And um, I did a bunch of research about it. So our next thought was, well, how do we tell the kids? And our kids were all pretty little still at that time. And it was right before Christmas. And they, some of them kind of had started noticing, you know, dad's balance was off and, and he was falling down a lot, shoveling out in the driveway. And uh, he just one little bump shoveling, he'd fall over. And the boys kind of laughed about it. They're like, what is dad getting old or what is wrong with him? So yeah, we had to sit down with them. I think it was like five days before Christmas and we had our pastor and uh, a counselor sit down with all of us and tell them the news. So yeah, that was very, very difficult. Yeah, that, that oh wow, that, that would definitely be heartbreaking and challenging all wrapped up, but it sounds like some, some smart, wise moves that you did of having some support there, added support for all of you, the process of telling them and the process of hopefully them uh, taking that in that yeah. in itself sounds like a hurdle, of course, of, of having to tell your children, what other some uh, are the other hurdles that you had to go through initially when, when you first found out this? Well, uh, could he keep working? Could we keep our house? How long can he drive? And all of those things. And since it started in his hands, pretty immediately, I had to start dressing him because he had to wear, he wore dress shirts to work and stuff and um, just buttoning his jeans. And it's like, well, how do you go to the bathroom at work mm. when you can't unbutton your own pants? Yeah. And so we had to get really creative and figure out a bunch of things like really pretty quickly. And the first hurdle was, well, we have a two-story home and we're not sure, you know, if we can make a bathroom on the main floor accessible and whatnot. And we just decided to sell. Now, looking back, you know, there's lots of things we learned and we probably could have stayed at that home, but 
you don't know what you know, don't know until you know it. So, and go through it. So we've learned a lot through the process, but we sold our home and then it was like, well, where are we going to move? And we couldn't find a ranch style home in Utah. And so we moved back to Minnesota. That's where we're both originally from. And we went back to near Chris's hometown and uh, bought a ranch style home there and remodeled it. And so, yeah, lots of selling homes, buying homes, finishing out kids at school here, getting them in new schools there and just lots of things. We sold our home in February. Um, and so December to February, there was a lot happening because we had to get our home ready to sell. And um, and then we sold it really quickly. And then it was like, oh, no, now what are we going to do? And so we ended up purchasing a home, I think, in maybe March. And then, yeah, March, we we purchased a home in Minnesota because we couldn't find one here. And we moved most of our stuff out of our home in April. And we moved in with some good friends in town to finish out the school year, uh, which ended the beginning of June. So from April, sometime in April till June, we lived with some good friends and uh, and then headed out of town after kids got out of school. It's a lot in a short time frame. And that, that begs to the question of, okay, with so much going on, I mean, this just hits you. I can't even imagine that initial meeting of, of the three ring binder and then having to go tell your kids and then having to move and then have to, to deal with school closing and all of that that you had going on. How did you embrace hope? in the midst of all of this is so quickly, how did you embrace that hope through this heartache? Well, it started with my husband. So I, I just remember crying and crying, like, I don't want to do this. You know, can't we have a different story? And he was so strong and so brave. He accepted it really quickly and embraced it and was like, no, this is, this is our story and we're going to live it out. And we're going to be strong and we're going to see what God has in store in the middle of our story. And so I think it started with him encouraging me that it was going to be okay and being brave for the rest of us. And so I was like, okay, well, here we go. Like he's, he's in, he's accepted. Now I got to wrap my brain around that. And then it was really our faith in Jesus Christ that uplifted us and um, provided all of the things that we needed when we needed them. Oh, I, I think you just hit on something so crucial. Anytime we're going through something is we have the opportunity to be the catalyst for what this looks like in our approach. As you shared, he was the one that, that was initially like it all consuming. He was having to deal with it. And yet his outlook filtered on and, and seem to filter through you and your children and the opportunity that we have to, to take whatever we're dealing with and how we approach it and how we can help others um, deal with it as well is, is huge. I, I think that that's just so, so huge. Okay. So from here, he, he takes that approach. You take that approach. You mentioned your, your firm faith and, and solid foundation in Christ, which is so key. What did this journey look like from there? What, what did it look like for you, for your kids, for him, for those around you? Well, it was uh, a lot of ups and downs for sure. Um, never in my life had I uh, had to cling to my faith more than during that time, going to a new town, starting new schools, getting the kids plugged in, finding a church. 
Um, we had very specific goals because we knew Chris's mobility, his ability to talk, all of those things were, we didn't know when uh, the last day of that happening was going to be because his uh, voice also started slurring pretty early on. And people thought that he had been drinking uh, because he physically looked okay. But then when you heard him talk, it sounded like he had been drinking and that was just the ALS affecting his vocal cord muscles and stuff. And so we had an agenda and we just worked really hard to get plugged into a church family, get into a small group. And so we had that community around us supporting us and um, in the middle of remodeling our home and doing all of that stuff. Looking back, I was like, I don't even know how we survived it. I mean, it's, it's just unimaginable, but we did it. And I think we came out stronger on the other side because of it. But it didn't, um, it wasn't an easy road. Uh, we had to do a lot of advocating for a lot of things. ALS has been around for over 50 years, but they still don't know a lot about it. And so uh, we had an ALS clinic at the Mayo Clinic, but it's a lot of trial and error and every person is different in how it affects them. Just uh, insurance, fighting insurances for wheelchairs and just all the equipment, all the things. And you were supposed to stay two steps ahead of the disease, which was not always easy to do because you didn't know when it was going to happen. And so everything just took longer and lots of hurdles. I think it took us six months to get his wheelchair and he already couldn't walk before that. Uh, we started the process when he was still walking, but it was so long just jumping through all the hoops that we ended up having to borrow a wheelchair from the ALS association in the meantime, because he was trying to use a walker and he was falling down all the time using his walker. And so, yeah, just very challenging. Um, and his was probably average moving as far as his deterioration. There's basically sporadic ALS and familial ALS. And there's a few other mixed in there, but those are the two, the two main ones. Sporadic can still move very quickly. There's ball bar ALS too. And his was sporadic. So it wasn't related to familial. So 10% of cases have to do with having a family history of it. Anyway, so this was average decline. And so I don't know uh, people that have the faster decline and stuff. I don't know how they keep up with it all because it's, it still seemed to change really quickly from diagnosis to being in a wheelchair was like six months. And so that's not a real long time. And like I said, he, he lost the use of his hands right away. So he already wasn't be able to do a lot of things. And uh, yeah, walking was left pretty quickly. But he was able to speak for quite a, quite a few years. And so that was a blessing. And he never lost his smile. So those are the new Chris um, loved his smile. And I was always afraid of the day when his muscles in his face quit working. Um, but the Lord was gracious and never took his smile away from him. That is beautiful. I, my mind is blown when you mentioned that you guys are supposed to stay two steps ahead of it, because here you are dealing with a, a diagnosis that is unknown, right? Especially when it hasn't been in the family and and the, the challenges of, as you mentioned, the timeline of it. So trying to stay two steps ahead of something that you've never had to deal with 
and yet is moving so quickly uh, that that sounds like so many hurdles in itself, but yet what a beautiful perspective too of seeing even in the midst of, of those heartaches, seeing God's goodness and those blessings of something such as a smile. And and I, I was so grateful for the pleasure of of knowing Chris and, and knowing you. And I would definitely agree with that perspective of he always had a smile. And I, I think that was uh, convicting to to those of us looking in of of the hardships that we can think were now inconveniences in our day and seeing someone who is battling something so challenging and so inevitable and to know he was able to always embrace and and display a smile and it was genuine it, it wasn't something just a, a stage smile he truly lived out his faith and joy and uh, even with that smile on his face i think that says so much so how about now to kind of wrap us up with what would you say is your latest update? I think my latest update is I'm still taking it day by day, trying to figure it out. I am now a single mom to uh, some young adults and some teenagers, and they're all still at home. And uh, so that's challenging. And I'm currently caregiving again for my mom who lives with me. And so... Uh, yeah, just taking it day by day. Um, I'm doing a lot of uh, volunteering work still. I'm able to be involved a little bit more with uh, my kids' activities and things than Chris, you know, had ALS for five years. And so uh, just now kind of getting back into the things that I used to do. I'm involved with our Mothers of Preschoolers group at our church, um, helping to facilitate that. And uh, we do a lot of volunteering work for Inheritance of Hope. And so I wanted to mention that um, that was a great resource for us. And that helps families who have a parent dealing with a terminal illness. And um, they have resources available and retreats. And thanks to COVID, now they have um, a lot of online opportunities that we didn't have before COVID. So we have virtual retreats. And then we have uh, we have like 23 different support groups uh, for all ages during the week uh, through Zoom. And then we have about four in-person retreats a year that we bring families on and help them make memories and help them live a legacy of uh, just intentional legacy. And so I uh, one of our uh, interesting things that we do that I haven't seen other organizations do is we do legacy videos. And so anybody can go to inheritanceofhope.org and request to do a video because none of us are guaranteed tomorrow. And so what a gift we could leave our families is a little memento of our, our voice and our mannerisms. And so I get to the privilege of doing um, some of those videos, a video coach. And then um, I'm a family navigator for some of the retreats. And so I just am enjoying giving back to an organization that has meant so much to us. That is incredible. I, I, I'm so just overwhelmed at times of hearing of, of organizations such as this that truly makes an impact, not only when the family needs it most, but also providing that sustainability, that ongoing support. Because as listeners can probably piece together now that, yes, uh, Chris has passed on and uh, as shared earlier in, in 2020, yet the heartache doesn't stop there his pain is is and suffering is gone and thankfully he is in the arms of Jesus but his family 
still has that heartache. And so this organization who still comes along and helps and, and for her, one of her sons, I, I know his involvement has been huge in this and being able to see that smile continue on to Chris's smile definitely is in, is in their son, Luke and, and all of his involvement there with inheritance of hopes. So I, I just think that's amazing for these nonprofit organizations that can continue their impact in these families. And then I think that's something to be said for you, Peggy, and your family of your continued involvement and being able to see the the impact that you can make in families that are coming behind you, having to to deal with some of those struggles that you guys initially dealt with, the challenges, the hurdles, and, and being able to make an impact on them, I think is amazing. How, in addition to Inheritance of Hope, how else have you felt a lifting of your face or been encouraged through all of this? Well, actually, I think it's the little things. Um, people always think you have to make these big, grandiose gestures to show somebody you care about them and love them and come alongside them. But it's it's really the little things, the notes of encouragement that I've gotten from people, the texts, the phone calls, and just the unexpected um, meal that shows up at your door or uh, the unexpected invitation to coffee or lunch or um, whatever. And, and our motto in our family has always been, you can't do everything, but everybody can do something. And so uh, it doesn't have to be a laborious, huge gesture. Just think about how can I let this person know that I care about them? And uh, as you say, lift their face. And that means a smile. And so uh, it, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be complicated. I like that. You can't do everything, but you can do something. That's one thing that we definitely cover in facelift is using our story to make an impact in others and that not everyone is, is called to even do the same thing. There's different opportunities and in, in finding what you're able to do and doing it. So I, I, I love that, that, uh, yeah, you can't do everything, but everyone can do something. Now, any advice you give to those perhaps walking through their own heartache right now? Um, I think just taking it day by day. I think if you look at the bigger picture, it can get really discouraging. Um, I think the hard, that was the hardest part for me was not knowing the timeline. Um, because I think all of us can wrap our brains around doing really hard things if we know how long we have to do it. Um, but we don't always get that opportunity. And so I think really just staying in the present. And yes, you have to plan, try to plan ahead for some things, but really trying to stay in the day to day and worry about today and then setting small goals for yourself. Um, I think helps keep you on track. And then when you accomplish those small goals, um, you get confident and you can move forward and add to those goals and feel like you've accomplished something. Absolutely. Now, Peggy, we have a signature question here in Holly's highlights. If you could go back and encourage, inspire, or equip yourself as a child, what would you tell your young self? I think. It's interesting. I think uh, God did a really good job equipping me for the things that I uh, ended up having to face because I actually in college was a paid caregiver um, because I wanted, I was going into social work and I wanted to work with the older population. And so I did home health care. And it's amazing how that came to fruition. <laughs> Um, how many years later, I'm like, oh, yeah, I, this is all coming back to me. I remember how to do all of this stuff. 
But I think I would have maybe paid more attention to um, how my parents did things and just learned as many skills as I could. Because um, when you're the only person having to do things, fix things, you know, like just knowing, does the car need to go to the shop or is it this or is it that? And just maybe paying more attention to the thing, all the things that I eventually needed to know how to do. Good advice. Good advice. Yes. I, I know looking back just with my mom's passing, canning. I wish I would have taken time to learn from her how to can. So some of those things that we take for granted in our parents or those around us, the talents that they have, and yet the opportunity we could take to actually learn that skill ourselves. So great insight there. Peggy, I am sure you have encouraged, inspired so many today. So where can our guests connect with you or even with Inheritance of Hope if they want to get involved? Um, They could connect with me, um, douglas.peggy at gmail.com. And I would love to connect with uh, anybody who wants to learn more about our story or how we can come alongside somebody else who has ALS or a terminal illness or whatever it may be. Um, And then inheritanceofhope.org is uh, the website for that. And uh, just uh, some statistics, one in 20 kids will lose a parent before the age of 16 and 563 kids lose a parent every day. That's the statistic. Mm. So uh, if it if it's not in your life, you will come across somebody who um, will need to know that information. Um, and hopefully you can direct them to inheritanceofhope.org. Wow. Wow. Thank you, Peggy. Thank you for sharing with us and your example set for us and, and all who have watched you live out your hope and your faith throughout all these years. I, I personally, as I, I've shared, I can attest, uh, you are remarkable. You truly are a remarkable woman. And I know I'm I'm honored to call you friend, but I know that the Lord is looking at you and saying, well done, my good and faithful servant to you and your family. So thank you for showing us that that hope through your heartache today. Thank you. Thank you for joining me on this journey of life. I hope that today's highlight has been encouraging, inspiring, and equipping so you can go out and live your life full of purpose. I'd be honored if you'd take a moment to leave a review, or better yet, subscribe. We can also stay in touch by joining my email list at hollycurby.com. That's H-O-L-L-Y-C-U-R-B-Y.com. Until next time, make it a great day for a great day.